0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Let's just be still and quiet, aware that we are in the presence of our living, loving God. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror... Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Holy God, wise beyond our understanding, we are in awe of all that you are. We cannot find words adequate to express our praises. Even the most elegant and eloquent phrases fall short of what we long to say. When we look around us at the wonders of the natural world, at animals and birds, plants and flowers, we find that our day is brighter and our lives enriched. When we listen to lovely music or admire beautiful works of art, we find that our hearts are lifted and our minds thrilled. and we share in the life of family or meet with friends. We find that we are more than we imagined ourselves to be. And all of this goodness has its origin in you. Righteous God, totally just and endlessly compassionate, we come to you as we are. The wonder of your holiness exposes our shame and guilt. Even when we have lived to the very best of our ability, we have failed. When we look around the world and see the waste of resources, the abuse of animals and plants, we see how we have been part of this. When we hear cruel words or are scandalised by offensive actions we are aware of the darkness in our own hearts and minds. When we fall out with those nearest to us or speak cruelly of others we find we are less than we hoped ourselves to be. Forgive us our failings and restore us to you. Merciful God, you never give up on us. Instead, by your Spirit's indwelling, you renew and refresh us, setting us back on our feet and leading us step by tiny step into a deeper relationship with you and to a more matured discipleship of Christ. So please accept our prayers, which we offer in his name. Amen.
1: The first reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, reading verses 1 to 10, and then verses 22 to 36. In praise of wisdom. Listen, wisdom is calling out, reason is making herself heard on the hilltops near the road and at the crossroads she stands at the entrance to the city beside the gate she calls I appeal to all of you I call to everyone on earth are you immature? learn to be mature are you foolish? learn to have sense listen to my excellent words all I tell you is right What I say is the truth. Lies are hateful to me. Everything I say is true. Nothing is false or misleading. To those with insight, it is all clear. To the well-informed, it is all plain. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Choose knowledge rather than the finest gold. And at verse 22. The Lord created me, first of all, the first of his works long ago. I was made in the very beginning, at the first before the world began. I was born before the oceans, when there were no springs of water. I was born before the mountains, before the hills were set in place, before God made the earth and its fields, or even the first handful of soil. I was there when he set the sky in place, when he stretched the horizon across the ocean, when he placed the clouds in the sky, when he opened the springs of the ocean and ordered the waters of the sea to rise no further than he said. I was there when he laid the earth's foundations. I was beside him like an architect. I was his daily source of joy always happy in his presence, happy with the world and pleased with the human race. Now, young people, listen to me. Do as I say and you will be happy. Listen to what you are taught. Be wise. Do not neglect it. Those who listen to me will be happy. Those who stay at my door every day, waiting at the entrance to my home, Those who find me find life, and the Lord will be pleased with them. Those who do not find me hurt themselves. Anyone who hates me loves death. And in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11 and reading through to chapter 6, Verse 3 There is much we have to say about this matter but it is hard to explain to you because you are so slow to understand. There has been enough time for you to be teachers yet you still need someone to teach you the first lessons of God's message. Instead of eating solid food you still have to drink milk Anyone who has to drink milk is still a child without any experience in the matter of right and wrong. Solid food, on the other hand, is for adults who through practice are able to distinguish between good and evil. Let us go forward then to mature teaching and to leave behind us the first lessons of the Christian message. We should not lay again the foundation of turning away from useless works and believing in God, of the teaching about baptisms and the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Let us go forward, and this is what we will do, if God allows. Amen.
0: I wonder how you felt when you heard that reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Because it seems to me it's a little bit more than a tiny bit disparaging towards the people who made up the congregations to whom it's addressed. They're not being praised for their emphasis on basic doctrines, instead, they're being criticised because they haven't moved on from the basics and begun to work out what it might mean for them to live as mature disciples of Jesus Christ. One of the real challenges faced by any preacher, or anybody who tries to put together a preaching scheme, is finding the right level. The right balance between endlessly repeating the basics and encouraging people to grow and learn the right balance between pursuing topics that are interesting and between telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. Some churches and some ministers will err to one extreme and some ministers and some churches to the other. I just struggle somewhere in the middle, I think. According to the writer of the letter... The readers in the Hebrew churches should, by the time they receive it, be quite capable of instructing others, but they still want to go on hearing the basics themselves. wonder why that is. You see, I have a suspicion that it's actually very safe and very reassuring to keep on being told the things that we already know, understand, and agree with it's quite scary being asked to go into new areas that are less straightforward or tidy or easy to be sure about. Easy just to tell people what they want to hear, that they already agree with. Not so easy sometimes to listen for God's spirit, nudging to say, I want you to wrestle with this a bit more. Put very bluntly, the writer is saying to the Hebrew churches that they have become infantilized, stuck as little babies, continually bottle-fed a diet that doesn't help them to grow or mature. Whenever I read that passage from Hebrews and a couple of other similar references elsewhere in the epistles, I think, well, what is this milk? And what is the solid food? or in older translations, meat? What are the basics that we should move on from? And what is the stuff that needs chewing, and perhaps chewing quite hard to get the goodness out of it? What will help us to find true enrichment in our walk of faith? And how do we avoid having a growth that actually is stunted, because we're not getting a very good diet spiritually? In most churches, most people know or really ought to know the basics of their faith and actually shouldn't be satisfied with hearing yet again the same old things said from the front. Any more than any one of us here would be very happy if you got served up baby food for your dinner. There is a place for baby food, but it's not what adults eat. And it really is a challenge for the preacher to try and find the right blend between the easy-to-digest basics and the needs-to-be-chewed-over material for the experienced believers in Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've begun to think a little bit about nurturing faith in children and in young people. We noted the role of the family and friends, the role of the faith community, We noted that the time comes when the transition to adulthood is reached and people have to be allowed to determine their own way forward, have to be allowed to challenge the assumptions of an earlier generation and to go on to build their own owned faith in Christ. We even briefly touched on the idea of a contoured faith, not into Corbett's and Monroe's and other weird hills, but the idea that there are some central non-negotiable truths to which we give the highest authority. And there are other matters where quite sincere Christians may disagree and yet remain living in fellowship one with another. Some of you know that I am now mentoring as it happens to pre-accredited ministers with the Baptist Union of Scotland. It was one until a week ago. I now have two. I am the only woman Baptist minister in pastoral charge in Scotland, which is a nice mouthful. I am also the only Baptist woman minister accredited mentor in Scotland. So the Baptist women ministers have to get me as their mentor, like it or not, if they want a woman. Um, That's a bit of a mouthful. But one of them was telling me, I met with her, and she said she'd been to the Scottish Baptist Minister's Conference, you go to that, and there might be two or three women and a couple of hundred men. And a number of those men come from churches that would not appoint a woman, even as an associate pastor, never mind a pastor on their own. But she was really touched by somebody who said to her, you know, I went through college with you, you know I don't approve of the ordination of women, but I will worship with you, because that is bigger than this issue. And I thought, you know, that's her being very gracious and accepting that, and him growing up and saying, perhaps this is an area where we have to agree to disagree. Perhaps this is not central to our faith. Now, what we might think is central and non-negotiable, and what we think is open to interpretation is probably something that could keep us going till the end of the age. But one of the challenges that we all face as we mature in our discipleship is how to develop an integrated worldview. In other words, how do we hold together what we do in an hour on a Sunday, usually in the morning, with what we do and experience the other 167 hours a week? Because for most of you, 167 hours of the week, you're not in here. I kind of live it, but for most people, that's not what you're called to do or to be. So, for example, how do we make our intercessory prayer more than mere wishful thinking? It's not good enough just to say, God bless the people in Africa, if it makes no difference to how we live. How do we take what we've discovered about the nature of God back into a world where suffering and injustice seem to be endemic? If we believe that God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, what happens when we go out of that door and we meet the person who falls into that category for us? How do we equip ourselves to handle the complex, thorny issues that arise in areas of medical ethics, or archaeology, or physics, or law, or the arts, or whatever it is that we are part of. Is there a danger, and this is a rhetorical question, but is there a danger that we live with a dislocation between Sunday and the rest of the week? Or do we try to hold together what we do here on a Sunday with the rest of our life? The book of Proverbs lies as part of what is called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. At the start of the book, we meet two characters, one called Wisdom and one called Folly. And one of the commentaries I have calls them Ms. Wisdom and Ms. Folly. I think they're trying to be trendy in 21st century in this particular uh, commentary. But two women... And each of those women stands on the street corner trying to lure people into her house. Now, I don't know how much this is culturally conditioned, but ladies who stand on street corners trying to lure people into their houses in the UK usually have one thing and one thing only on their mind. But wisdom and folly are portrayed as two women standing on the street corner trying to invite people to come into their homes. And much of what they have to say sounds very similar. Both wisdom and folly offer a banquet, a banquet that will delight and meet the inner desires of those who come through the doors. So how does a young person distinguish between wisdom and folly? How do you choose which of these invitations to accept? Because it isn't always quite as clear-cut as we like to think. And if we are honest with ourselves, I think that there will be everybody here who has at some point followed a path that with hindsight turned out to be foolish. And if you haven't, then I suspect there's a yet. Because I can remember being about... Twenty and thinking I was a very good upright person and never made bad choices and believe me I've made a few bad choices in my life nothing exciting nothing worthy of the news of the world but you know things that actually were not terribly bright so how do we find the way of wisdom how do we learn to learn so that we can mature in understanding becoming adult children of God rather than perpetual babies Assuming that we have grasped the basics of faith and made some kind of commitment to live as followers of Jesus, how do we nurture our faith so that it remains vibrant and meaningful through all the challenges and struggles of everyday life? It seems to me that we need to find a way of reading scripture that allows us to relate the principles we discover from ancient literature to the real life issues of a 21st century scientific, allegedly postmodern worldview. We have to recognize that the scriptures were written in a pre scientific age by devout believers in Yahweh and later devout believers in Jesus who couldn't have imagined, let alone understood, so much that we take for granted. If we look at the Bible to find out whether we should have electric light in our houses, or whether we should drive petrol-driven cars, we're not going to find an answer. It's just a nonsense. And yet, you know, there are people who do that. What we do find will be valuable principles as to how we think about using the Earth's resources. We learn how God views creation, and therefore that should shape the way we use creation. The Bible won't give us neat answers to the limitations of appropriate forms of surgery. It won't tell you whether or not it's okay to have this or that procedure. Nothing in the Bible about transplant surgery or open heart surgery. Couldn't, couldn't People couldn't possibly have imagined it, and yet it's part of our life. And actually, do you know, I think if we read carefully what the Old Testament says about people who are excluded from worship we would be horrified people with weak eyes people with damaged genitalia people who limp would not be allowed into worship so those of us with glasses on are better all leave now we need to understand why it says what it says not get so literalist that we miss the point that it tells us about god We have to find this path between an unthinking literalism at one end and an unthinking liberalism at the other end. We need to take advantage of the very best biblical scholarship through all the ages. To understand what the Bible is, a library of writings selected by wise and spiritual men, and they were men in those days, Several hundred years after the birth of Christ, men who wanted to follow Jesus, who looked at these writings and said, yep, that seems like a useful one. We'll have that one. We believe God speaks to us through that. Not so sure about that one. It's not something that arrived neatly packaged from heaven in the NIV or the KJV or any other translation. It actually is a library of books originally in... Hebrew and Greek. And it was written for real people in a real historical context with real issues of what it meant to live in relationship with God or with Christ. We have to remember they didn't understand biology or physics or geography as we do today. They were not just people like us in fancy dress. I I read some stuff on church history by Rowan Williams and he has this lovely expression that that the Victorians were not just like us in fancy dress, and the medieval people were not just like us in fancy dress. They actually thought differently than we do because they didn't know the things that we take for granted. We can't, therefore, read the Bible in the way we would read a recipe book or an instruction manual. It's not written about our world. It's written to speak in. the world through all times. It is theological writing, it's divinely inspired, and it is incredibly valuable. But we're not going to find once and for all knockdown proofs in there. What we find is timeless principles to inform our thinking and to shape our living. So much for how we approach scripture But what about the other things that we read and see? The other places that we gather information from? If you believe, as I do, that God leads and calls people to all walks of life, including the natural and social sciences, the humanities and the arts, then it follows that God can speak to us through the discoveries that these people make. It's an often forgotten truth that many of the experimental scientists and astronomers we read about in history started their work to try and better understand the wonders of God's world. Cosmology, genetics and so on owe an awful lot to the men of faith who pioneered them. But we do need to have a note of caution when we engage with ideas from the secular world because each writer or researcher has their own agenda and their own worldview. We should no more accept unthinkingly the ideas from the sciences or the arts than anything else. We shouldn't just accept everything we read as indis- undisputably true. Our intelligence and our intellect are both gifts from God to be employed in the whole of our life I don't know about you, but occasionally on television I will see a documentary about something I know about and I cringe at the things that are wrong. And then I wonder what else is wrong in the things I know nothing about. Everybody has an agenda in what they say and we have to try and be, as scripture says, wise as serpents while still being innocent as doves in all our engagement. So part of the challenge then is to grow in how we read scripture and interpret it for our daily life. And part of it is how we bring that in conversation with the world around us. You see, I think sometimes as Christians we can be, as the saying goes, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly use. We're so busy having our Sunday bit on a Sunday and our rest of the week bit apart from that and not holding them together. But practically, how do we mature as Christians? How do we grow? How do we learn to learn? One of the things about being mature, one of the things of reasons why people go away from home to university, is to have the freedom to make their own choices, but also to take responsibility for what it is they do and say. A mature person will take responsibility for their own growth and development. So to finish, uh, I've got a set of practical suggestions which may or not may not be the ones that you need to be thinking about, but hopefully for each of us there'll be something that I think, yeah, that's perhaps for me. Firstly, I've assumed that everybody here is the kind of person to whom the letter to the Hebrews was addressed. I've assumed that everybody has been part of a faith community for long enough to have grasped the basics of faith. But maybe that's not true. Maybe there are people here who feel they need to learn or revisit what lies at the heart of Christian belief. Well, if that's the case, the mature thing to do is to take responsibility and speak to me or speak to somebody else and say actually I need some help with that and we can look at how we work with it. I've also assumed that we will have some kind of commitment to read and study the scriptures whether that is a daily Bible reading pattern or a group Bible study pattern. But maybe that's not true. Maybe You're somebody who needs to begin for the first time or to restart a commitment to reading and trying to understand the Bible. Using up-to-date notes, guides, and commentaries as a help. And again, the mature thing to do, if you're not sure about that, is to ask for help. If you don't know where to start, speak to somebody about it. And then I've assumed that we will all make an endeavor to learn and grow in our understanding of the world of which we are part. Whether that is formal education or research, whether that's watching documentaries on television, reading newspapers, or visiting museums and galleries. But I could be wrong about that too. You might all do nothing but read the Bible. You might miss all the other stuff that's out there if we don't engage with the real world, if we don't try to find out what the questions and issues are that concern other people, if we don't know anything about ecology or economics or whatever it is, how can we speak for God in this world with any credibility? None of us can learn everything. All of us can learn something. Now, I can't help you with that because I'm not an expert in all these things. But I wonder what it is that you might need to learn a bit more about in order to be a more effective, a more informed disciple of Jesus. And lastly, the really difficult part of mature discipleship is to bring all of that together. The insights and understandings we gain from Scripture... The issues and questions and understandings we gain from life. And then to open ourselves up to God's spirit wisdom to guide us into a new and perhaps surprising way forward. Bible study, theological reflection are both fantastic tools. But unless they lead to action in the service of Christ, they're mere froth. It's by discussing together, weighing carefully and prayerfully what each person brings that we hear God speaking to us in this place, at this time. Mature disciples are disciples who are the grown-up children of God. Grown-up children who keep the openness and curiosity and vulnerability of youth but add to that the wisdom, understanding, and provisionality of adulthood. A mature disciple will never think that they have arrived. He or she will keep moving forward a step at a time in Christ's footsteps, directed and guided by the uncontainable uncontrollable spirit of God. Amen.
2: Two images from our news this week caught my attention. The first one was of conjoined twins that were separated amazingly, they were joined at the head and they were separated and the image was there of the two babies lying side by side in the cot a wonder of uh, science and of uh, medicine and of gifts used and then another image of two children caught my attention and these were two children who were put in a cage to fight and people were betting on who would win this fight And it seemed to echo the potential for good and the potential for harm that there is in this world. And as we bring our prayers for others, um, that was the thought that I had in mind. The psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so we bring our prayers for others. Let's pray together. loving and living God, even the most mature and wise and educated among us, sometimes find this world confusing and perplexing and often even difficult to know how best to pray for it. And yet we rejoice that this is your world, created by your hand, sustained by your power guided by your purpose. So now we bring it to you. We pray for peace, that world leaders may work to reduce confrontation and to promote dialogue. And we think particularly of the present tension between Israel and Palestine and of the various hot spots of unrest in the Middle East and North Africa. We pray for justice, that the abundance of the world's resources may be shared more evenly, remembering particularly those living under drought and famine conditions in Kenya and South Sudan and other areas still recovering from earthquakes, tsunamis and flooding. Grant that aid agencies may have sufficient resources to meet the needs that they encounter. We pray for harmony, that everyone, irrespective of age or intellect, race or sex, may be valued for who they are. We pray for wisdom for world leaders as they seek to address the critical economic circumstances that so many countries are facing. We do not just pray for the big things in life, but also for the little, rejoicing that all situations are important to you. All people matter in your sight. So we bring the business of each day, small in the eyes of the world, but important to us. The responsibilities of family life and parenthood The cost of buying and running a home, the problems of making a living and making ends meet, the joys and sorrows of marriage and relationships, the well being of our loved ones, our places of work and leisure, worship and relaxation. We put these into your hands knowing that they matter to you as they matter to us. And silently now we name in our hearts those who are particularly on our thoughts and in our minds at this time. Loving and living God, we rejoice that you are involved in our world, And involved in our lives, not distant and remote, but seeking the good of everything you have made. Gratefully, we put our trust in you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: David Watson wrote these words, If we are all word and no spirit, we dry up. If we are all spirit and no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up. Gracious God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, help us to grow in maturity, living with the tension of the word and the world, the spirit and the mind, that all we do may bring honour to him whose name we bear, even Christ our Lord, today and every day. Thank mm-hmm.